You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Really, I'm just wanting to give you my heart today. Um, uh, I don't know what else to say, but I want to preach here out of the book of Acts, uh, chapter number 8. It's going to be my main text. Uh, but if you found your place there in Acts 8, go over with me just for a moment to Acts 16. I want to begin with just by reading one verse, and we're going to spend most of our time in Acts chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse number 26. But Acts chapter 16, verse 31, this is Paul talking to uh, the Philippian jailer, and he says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He, the, he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And he just said, believe. Believe, and thou shalt be saved. So, I want to preach today on the, the thought, uh, the declarative statement, believe and be saved. Um, Maybe for a moment, put a question mark there. Believe and be saved. What does that mean? Uh, so maybe I'll start with the question mark, believe and be saved, and then make the statement, uh, believe and be saved. Now, is having a relationship with God Almighty just as simple as believing? Now, of course, the answer to that question, based on the verses that we just read, must be a resounding yes. Because the Bible says so. A resounding yes. However, it is vitally and eternally important that we understand and that we mark the distinction between saving faith, saving faith or belief, as contrasted with a dead belief or a dead faith. For instance, what if I told you today that it's possible It is possible to believe that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God. It's possible to believe that. It's possible to believe that He lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross to atone for the sins of mankind, and that He rose again the third day. It's possible to believe all of that and still spend to die Spend an eternity separated from Almighty God in a place called the lake of fire. You say, well, preacher, it sounds like you're speaking contrary here. Because you just got through saying that if we believe, we'll be saved. But now you're saying that if we believe, it's possible not to be saved. Well, I'm just trying to make a distinction here today. And I, my, my goal is, it's like almost like I almost just want to pull up a chair and sit in here and talk to you. Because I'm really not trying to preach at you. I'm really not just trying to preach to you. I'm really just wanting to talk to you today, okay? And I'm just trying to make a distinction. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, Thou believest, there's the word, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. How many people do you talk to? I believe in God. Most people believe in God of some sort, some sort of God. Um, But the Bible goes on to say this, The devils also believe. Okay, so that's why I said it's possible. Now, do the devils believe that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God? 
The demons of hell? They absolutely do. They don't just believe it, they know it. They believe that he died on, that died on the cross. They believe he rose again the third day. No question about it. But I'll take it a step further though. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. Hadn't met too many people like that. The devils believe to the extent that it actually makes their knees knock together. Yet, we know where the devils are spending eternity. So now, preacher, hold on a second. Well, I'm no devil. Uh, I'm not a devil. I'm not a demon of hell. Uh, and, and I agree with that. But notice what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter number 7, verses 22 through 23. And I invite you, you can turn to these verses, but please write them, mark them down and read them if you don't know them. Matthew 7, 22, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, judgment day, standing before Him, they will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name have cast out devils. And in Thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So there you have it. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ talking to religious people, people who prophesied, people who preached, people who did many wonderful works. So clearly, these are people who believe. But we want to contrast believing. Because one thing you can mark down right now, the Bible is absolutely free and clear of contradictions. Since it is the Word of God, God never contradicts Himself. Now, from man's perspective, we can look this morning and at first glance you're saying, well, wait a second. In one place He's saying, believe and be saved. In another place He's saying, believe and you're not going to be saved. But again, there's no contradiction there. There just needs to be a distinction made between the types of belief that are being talked about, the type of faith that's being talked about. So, Someone may say, well, preacher, it's all kind of confusing, and I agree, but that's why I'm preaching this message, because my goal today is to make it where it's not confusing. God wants salvation to be a simple prospect. I mean, He wants it to be something not all hard, man. He wants it to be something that people can understand. So, this can be confusing, and quite frankly, can anybody identify with this? It can be a little terrifying. <laughs> it can be kind of terrifying. You can get a pit in your stomach like, oh, man. Have you, hey, because you know yourself. You ever like this? See, I know myself well enough that if anybody could uh, claim to be a Christian and not be, I just think, well, man, I'm a pretty bad dude. I think about how sorry and low down I am. Man, I'm, the, I'm probably the one. But now there's a reason I don't have to worry about that because of what I'm trying to tell you today. But the point I'm just simply trying to make is this. And my prayer over the next few moments is that I can make this as clear and as understandable as I possibly can. <clears throat> and I'll back up from that. I'm praying for an unction and anointing from God that I can make it as clear as God can make it through me. And hopefully, here's, here's my goal today. If you're saved, I want you to have assurance of salvation. If you're not saved, I want you to have assurance that you're not saved, but that you can be saved. That you can have a personal relationship with God. And that indeed, that's really what you're missing on the inside. You know, you, you talk to people all the time, they've tried religion. And you know, therefore, they're not interested in what you have to say about Christ. But what we understand is religion and Christ are not the same thing. Church and Christ are not the same thing. Oh, I've tried religion before, I'm going to try something else. Hey, and by the way, how many of you can sympathize with people like that? 
How many can sympathize with people that don't want anything to do with God in church? Honestly. I sure can. I don't blame them at all. I agree with them. Because if I had had their experiences, I wouldn't want nothing to do. That's God? No, thank you. I don't want to do with the God that they've been introduced to, which is not the God of this Bible. I don't want to do want anything to do with the church that they've been introduced to that in many cases is not the church of the Bible. In other cases it is. But the problem with churches is churches are usually made up of people, right? And people are sinners, people falling out. And I'll just go on to say I understand people that way. But if you're not saved that you'll know, know Christ. So think about this in the way of introduction here. And again, just trying to talk to you from my heart today. Some make salvation difficult. Some make salvation difficult. Sometimes they do it by comparing experiences. So I know that I'm saved. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you meet someone who was saved out of a, uh, a rougher type background, you know. And, uh, and, and, and they compare. I, I've known people like this. And they'll say, well, let me tell you, man, I went to church and I heard the message and I heard about sin. I realized I was a sinner. I gripped onto the, the, the pew that day, but I didn't come. I went home every night. All I did was sat and thought about my sin. I couldn't sleep. I was sick. I was this. I was that. I just couldn't get over it. And, uh, and, and then, then I come the next week, and I heard the message again, and I fought it. And, but then finally, God just worked on my heart and just kept, I kept losing sleep. I was sick. So finally, I got saved. Then they ask you, well, so how'd you get saved? You're like, man, I was eight years old and I heard the message and I said, Jesus, will you save me? And then somebody makes it hard saying, well, that don't sound like mine. But what really does salvation, you're only saved one way by believing on Christ. Now, the experiences surrounding it are different. There's nothing wrong with that, dude. I, I, literally knew, I, I literally met a lady in a church I was in years ago that actually bought a different mattress because she couldn't sleep at night. Because she was tossing and turning, but, it, but the real problem was that she couldn't get out of her mind that she did not know God and that she was going to spend an eternity in hell apart from Him. I didn't do that. All right? I know others that didn't do that. Um, by the way, can I just give you a quick example about that? The one, one that I... It's kind of one of my go-tos with this thing. Uh, I picture, some of you can identify with this, maybe others not so much, but I've been in services to where people have shared their testimony of salvation. I just want to thank the Lord for saving me, and then they tell a little bit about how they got saved. Uh, anybody else in services? Some of you have been in those types of services, hearing about people telling how they got saved. I think that's wonderful. But can you imagine being in a service where the Apostle Paul is sitting on this side, and Lydia the seller of purple, is sitting on this side. Paul gets up and tells his testimony. Remember Paul? A religious zealot. Uh, I mean, he was a religious man. He thought he was doing the service of God by having Christians put to death. He was an evil man. And one day he was on his road still after he'd, he'd heard the message and God had convicted his heart, and, but he was on his road to keep doing what he had been doing. And on the road, anybody remember what happened? A bright light shone from heaven. A voice spoke out of heaven. The men around it didn't hear an actual words, but it sounded like thunder to them. He got knocked off his horse. 
Down in the dirt he goes. Can you imagine hearing them tell this story? Because I'm doing it quickly. Can you imagine just really having the dude that experienced this tell about this? You'd be on the edge of your seat. Wow. And down on his knees in the dirt, Paul says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And I can just imagine people wiping tears and blowing snot and just, Woo, man, what a testimony. You know, what a testimony. And then, uh, then Lydia, Lydia's sitting over on this side, and somebody says, Lydia, tell us about your testimony. And I'll read it for you. Acts 16.31. Nope, that's, not, that's the verse I just read a moment ago. Where'd that go? Oh, okay. Uh, 16 verses 14 through 15. <laughs> Acts 16, 14 through 15. Lydia, tell us about how you got saved. Well, I, I, I'm a seller of purple. That's my business. We was out by the river uh, meeting, having a little religious gathering with a handful of ladies. Paul walks up, begins to tell us about Christ. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord opened up my heart. And no light, no thunder. Were you not like on a horse and going off? No, I just, the Lord opened up my heart. Can you see a couple of them? Mm. I think we need to pray for Lydia. Need to pray for Lydia. I ain't so sure she got it. Right? Um, I'm just saying some people make it hard, too difficult. Um, some people make it difficult to com- comparing experiences. They, they cherry pick a few verses. You know, there's a lot of verses about salvation. We have a tendency to always go to the same ones. But the fact of the matter is that sa- sa- salvation, honestly, is the same for every person. You are saved the exact same way, whether you're a little kid, whether you're an old person, whether you've lived a terribly sinful life, whether you've lived a moral life. Salvation's the same for everyone. The experiences that lead up to it may be different. Often are different. But it's not the experiences that lead up to it uh, that make salvation. So uh, some people make it really hard. Others make it way too easy. All right? Universalism. By the way, you you know what universalism is? Universalism is the the teaching, the false doctrine, that everybody's going to heaven anyway. Um, Which just negates the whole thing. Why would Jesus... Come and die. Why would He send us to preach the gospel to every creature? Why would He give that opportunity? But you want to know something disturbing about that? I want you to be on the... On the you need to be on the, uh, have your radar up on this. Because there's a thing in the world today called the emerging church. It's called the emerging church. And basically, it's the church, I believe, that was referred to when the Bible says there'll be a great falling away. Uh, but universalism in many of the emerging churches is the doctrine. Uh, that's why they'll just pretty much baptize anybody. Because everybody's going anyway. There's some of these teachers that actually go as far as to teach that, uh, that even after judgment, God will give you another chance even if you reject Him and go to hell. I'm talking about so-called uh, you know, evangelical leaders of emerging churches. So you've got to be careful about this stuff. Um, why, why in the world would they preach that? Because it sounds better, I guess. But just because it sounds better, don't make it but they make it too easy. Um, prayerism. Some of us know these kinds of things. Um, I'm talking about making it too easy. I have personally known people, I've personally been with people that are convinced if I can just get you to repeat this prayer, you'll be saved. 
I mean, I'm talking about to the extent that literally, I mean, these preachers, man, I'm telling you, literally, they brag about getting on the elevator with eight people on the first floor. By the time the elevator hits the fifth floor, they've led all eight people to Christ. Now, how do they do this? They convince them, just say this prayer after me. Just say this prayer after me. Okay, everybody say the prayer after me. Gotcha. Now, they may be saying the exact same words that you said when you called on the Lord. Don't misunderstand me here. But I'm saying that there's some people that literally just think, if I can just, and I've, I have, man, you talk about awkward. I've literally been with people who have coaxed people. I mean, I'm talking about like conned people into repeating a prayer after them because they're just so convinced that if I could just get them to repeat this prayer, they'll get, so you say, preacher, don't you try to get people to repeat a prayer here at a time? I do about every week. But I never tell you that repeating a prayer saves you, amen? I tell you that calling on the Lord in faith saves you, and this is the words you can use from your heart, but it's the heart that believes. So I'm not saying that praying doesn't save you. I'm just simply saying that it's not just uh, say this little prayer. Uh, Some people make it too hard. Some people make it too easy. But folks, God makes it just right. Amen. Uh, You know, no one is saved in a vacuum. And I don't mean like literally a vacuum cleaner. That would be weird. Um, But what I mean by vacuum is that no one is saved without any other things working and leading up to that point. Which is why that just saying a quick little prayer doesn't really make a lot of sense. Okay? So with that in mind, Acts chapter number 8, verse 26, I want to walk with you, and I want you to walk with me through these verses, and I want to try to show you, and I want to try to make it as simple as I can today, uh, on believe and be saved, question mark, and I want to get it to believe and be saved, exclamation point, okay? Uh, What it really means. Okay, so number one, Let's look here in Acts chapter number 26. See if you can see the moving of God's unseen hand. The moving of God's unseen hand. Um, As we read through these verses, start in verse number 26 of Acts chapter number 8. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah the prophet, which is Isaiah. Um, Then the Spirit of God said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the Scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb before, or lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. We know that those verses that he was reading today, we know that is what? Isaiah 53. 
One of the greatest gospel messages in the entire Old Testament. That's where this man was reading. Now notice verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And I just want to pause right there and I want to talk about a couple things. I want to get to the final point because it's kind of the main point. But I do just want to make a couple other interesting points here. Number one, I believe some things that happen that lead to a person believing and being saved is the moving of God's unseen hand. It's illustrated in these verses. We call this providence. Providence. See, the foreknowledge of God knew all about the Ethiopian knew the position that he held. He was basically the secretary of the treasury for Ethiopia. And Ethiopian folks at this time was a great empire. God knew the position he held. God knew why he came to Jerusalem. He knew the deep, unsatisfied hunger of his heart. He knew he was on his way home. He knew all about his chariot. He knew exactly where he was on the road. He knew what book he was reading. He knew his perplexity and his persistence. The deep details of this divine encounter were all determined in heaven, directed by the Spirit of God. What I'm simply trying to say is the the unseen hand of Almighty God. Now, if you're here today and you're saved, God brought you to those circumstances of hearing the gospel, being in a place where you were willing to hear the gospel. None of it was an accident. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch, I'm sure he didn't think much about it when he saw Philip coming. And even when Philip said, hey, what are you reading there, pal? He said, oh, I'm reading this. And then he says, okay, so would you understand it? Well, as the story goes on, spoiler alert, this man does end up believing and being saved. Uh, but here's the thing. I imagine that if you would have asked that Ethiopian eunuch, hey, tell us about how you came to Christ. And this is how I feel sometimes. I bet if you would have asked him not long after that, he would have just said, well, man, I was riding through the desert and this guy came along and, and I was reading the Bible, but he preached and told me that it was about Jesus and, and, and what Jesus did for me. And, and I trusted Christ. I believed and was saved. But you know, as the years goes on, I bet that Ethiopian eunuch started thinking, but man, that really wasn't a coincidence that I was in Jerusalem. It was a coincidence that I was reading Isaiah 53. What I'm just simply trying to say was, what the, the events that led to you coming to Christ were no accident. Now, understand, if, if you're thinking about some negative things that were sinful things, wrong things, abuse, things that weren't right, understand that those may have been things that the devil was doing, but even God can, can use what the devil's trying to do to help lead you to Him, to help free you from the devil's grasp. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I want to tell you very clearly, it's no accident that you're here today. No accident. It's no accident the events that led to you being willing to come today. You ever think about that? Why did you go to church in the first place? Some of you just went to church, that's what you did. Some of you went because somebody just wouldn't leave you alone about it. Right? Uh, I went because my buddy's grandpa died. Of course I'll go to the funeral, why not? But what about me meeting this buddy? God knew I would do that. God knew all these things. And God knew I'd go to that funeral and hear the gospel. Amen? And I'm just simply trying to say, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, 
but it's just simply to say that the unseen hand of God, one of the things that I believe that leads to, and I, I say I believe, one of the things that leads to, period, us coming to a saving faith in Christ is the unseen hand of God coordinating events. I like what the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 3. The Bible's talking about Ruth and how that she had uh, gone out into the field. And, and the Bible says that her hap, H-A-P, her hap was to go out into the field of Boaz. Her hap. Her hap means just kind of like happenstance. It just so happened. But it says her hap. Because from her perspective, yeah, I, this looks like a good field. It was her hap. But it wasn't God's hap. God doesn't have the haps. Amen. God orchestrates. God gives opportunities. And that's what God's doing with Him. That's what God is doing with each and every one of us today. And if you don't know Christ, man, let me tell you. Can I just tell you? Can I tell you with a big old smile and joy in my heart that there's an almighty God in heaven that loves you so much that He's trying to get you to a place where you can be introduced to Him. He's trying to free you from those false perceptions you've had about Him. He's trying to free you of those false perceptions that you've had about religion. He loves you so much. He orchestrates e events to bring you to the place of decision. Without expounding too much into this thought, let's just consider the, the hints that are given through this passage just a little bit more. And, and I, this is cool. And, and I believe it's important, but again, I just I want to get move on, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but consider with me quickly. At some point, this man, the, the little things, the little things and the little light that leads to you coming to Christ. At some point, this man heard about the God of the Bible. We can assume that, right? At some point in this man's life, he heard about the God of the Bible. How did he respond? He, he, he didn't acknowledge God and move on, apparently. He didn't just add God, it doesn't appear to a pantheon of gods. He heard about the God of the Bible and said, huh. So this is God giving up. I'd, I'd like to know more about that. The God, God of the Bible, the, the Creator. One God. He heard about this God. So, then came the desire to know more. He discovered somewhere along the line that Jerusalem was the place that the Jews, which was... You know, as far as he knew at that time, the God of the, the this God, he's the God of he's the God of all men. But the Jews are the ones that were, and, and you worship him at Jerusalem. You worship him at the temple. Now that man had a choice right then, did he not? That man could have said, oh, "That's cool," or he could say, "Huh." There's this leading. There's this drawing. I think I'd like to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't have to follow that, but God's working in his life. Okay, he had a choice. See, because that's this same weekend, him and his buddies were supposed to go to Hilton Head, South Carolina, and play golf that week. They weren't, okay? All right, just uh, see if you was paying attention. He had this week off work, and what can he do? Well, man, you can go to Hilton Head, or you can go by yourself to Jerusalem, I guess, if you want. You want to do that. Travel across the desert, go up there. So that's what he did. He, he traveled to Jerusalem. That's, that's the decision that he made. He chose this pilgrimage. He got there, and here's what happened. He realized that Judaism, religion, was dead. And maybe as he was leaving, he's leaving Jerusalem, he's disappointed. And, but as he's leaving, he passes a booth, and there's scrolls in this booth. And just something kind of in his heart says, well, maybe you ought to check out those scrolls. So he walks over and takes a look at these scrolls and then there's this one in particular that just seems to lock his eyes on. You need that scroll. He picks that scroll up. It's a copy of Isaiah. 
You see what I'm saying? I'm just simply saying that I believe that the way that we come to God is that He gives us little light. He gives us these, the, the, a still, small voice along the way. It's important. I believe that it's important how people respond to the light and the leading of God. I really do. I believe that it's possible for people to uh, get to a point where maybe they don't have the, this grand of an opportunity that the eunuch had because they're not following the leading of the Lord up to that point. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe you don't. I hope you do because I'm trying not to be confusing. But I'm just the main point I'm just simply trying to make is this. There's an unseen hand of God that's trying to lead you to a point where you can know Christ. Okay? You don't have to agree with me on the rest of it, but you need to agree with me on that point. Or you, I hope so. Uh, all right. Number two real quick. The unseen working of God's hand. Number two, the unseen moving of God's hand. Number two, the working of God's Spirit. Notice verse number 29. The Bible says, Then Philip said, I'm sorry, then the Spirit said unto Philip, The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Now, this point basically introduces the agent that's at work in the aforementioned movements. The Spirit of God. The working of God's Spirit. But it emphasizes the necessity, the absolute necessity of the working of God. See, there are those that just feel like almost as if God's disconnected from the world and that He's just set man on His own course and that at some point man just decides, you know what, yeah, I think I'll, think, I think I'll get saved. I think I'll seek God. It don't work like that. God seeks after us first. God is actively working. The Spirit of God is actively working in the world and in hearts today to give people that opportunity. Jesus said the working of God's Spirit. I'm just talking about things that are leading up here to believing uh, and receiving. Believing and being saved. John 6.44, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. So salvation, in order to be saved, the Spirit of God must be working. Jesus said, Jesus tells us a little bit how he draws in John 16 verse 8. I know I'm not giving you time to turn to these, but of course I encourage you to write them down and study them for yourself. John 16 verse 8, and when He, which is talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Conviction of sin. In other words, it's the Spirit of God that helps turn the light on to show you that you have your need for Christ. The fact that indeed you have sinned against God. See, now that's the tough part. Because... In order for you to be willing and know that you even need to be saved, you need to understand that you're lost first. And that's what the Spirit of God does. Now, for years, no matter how sinful of a life that I was living, ultimately I felt like a pretty good guy. No, no, never mind the bad stuff I was doing, I was a good guy, I was a good kid, you know. And I had this image of God out, you know, my good outweighing my bad and all that. I, was, I know I do bad, but I do a lot of good too and... But folks, Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again the third day because there was even the opportunity that our good could outweigh our bad. The Bible says that if you've offended in one point of the law, you've offended in the whole thing. If you've sinned once, bam, you're a sinner. You've broken the entire law. We're separated. We don't have an opportunity. I mean, we're lost. 
So a point that I had to come to, the point the Spirit of God needed to bring me to, now I, I may not have been able to articulate this, understand this by the way, some of the things I'm telling you, realizations I come to, at the time I may not have been able to articulate, wow, the Holy Ghost of God just really convicted me and showed me uh, my sin. I didn't know that terminology, but I'll tell you what the Holy Ghost of God was doing. He was letting me realize that, buddy, I am not marking down all these good things you're doing and your good's going to outweigh your bad. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is that you need to admit and acknowledge that you're a sinner. Understand that Jesus went to the cross to pay for all that. It ain't about you paying for it. It's about me already paying for it. It's about you admitting. He reproves. The Spirit of God works. And He helps us to see that we're lost. He helps us to see our sinful condition. So there's the working of the Spirit of God. Uh, If you're not willing to admit and confess your sinfulness before God. Listen, you can't be saved. You you can't accept God's righteousness if you're not willing to acknowledge your sinfulness. But the way we're able to acknowledge our sinfulness, and just to be honest, by the way, right? who are we trying to fool? We just confess that we're a sinner and we say, dear God, forgive me. But it's the Spirit of God that helps us to realize and shows us. So there's the working of the Spirit of God and that goes and that couples with the next point, the hearing of the Word of God. What was going on here? Verses 30 through 35. Man, this guy was reading Isaiah 53. And it got even better than that because then he asked the question. He says, well, who's this? Is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Any of you Christians ever have opportunities like that? I know as a preacher I have opportunities like that sometimes. I I remember one time visiting in the hospital and I I was asking a lady, I said, ma'am, I said, are you sure? Are you sure that that if you died today that you would go to heaven? Are you sure that you know Christ is your Savior? And she thought she had me, Sarah Sue. She says, do you? I said, hang on just a sec, amen? Let me tell you about it. Yes, I do. Let me tell you about it. And that's that's the opportunity Philip had here. Is this talking about Isaiah? He said, let me tell you, it's it's talking about Jesus. And the Bible said he preached unto him Jesus. See, here's the point of God, or the point of the, point of the matter. There's, there, there's the unseen hand of God that moves. We don't often think about that, but it's, it's, it's moving to, to bring you to a point to where you can hear and understand the gospel just at the right time. But then there's the Spirit of God that's working. He's the one, He's the reason you came. He's the reason that you consider, considered it in the first place. He's the one, He's the one that when the preacher's preaching... And it feels like he's preaching to you. He's the one preaching to you. That's what people need to know. Saved or unsaved, he's the one preaching to you. He's the one reaching you. Because I don't have the ability to preach to your heart. Only God can do that. The times, man, all the times. You ever been? Have you ever been one of these people? I've had people throughout the years of preaching that have, uh, that have left. I've had people leave and say, I'm not going back there. Now, it's not because people weren't friendly. It's not because I was too loud and obnoxious and preached too long. That may not have helped. But the reason why, I was like, man, I felt, I was kind of feeling sick there. I was getting anxiety. I don't get anxiety. I'm not talking about just, you know, normal social anxiety. It's just like, I just, my heart started beating and I just, oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Well, you know what's going on. God's speaking to your heart. He's revealing to you your need for Him. He's getting your attention. The Spirit of God works, but He works on the Word of God. So the Spirit of God and the Word of God. I like what the Bible says in Genesis 1, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says this, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face uh, face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved 
upon the face of the water. So listen what happens. The Spirit of God's moving and God said. What do you see there? The Spirit of God and the Word of God work in unison to bring a person to this place that this man came to that you can believe and be saved. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. If you don't believe that, you can look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The Bible says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, it's referencing Genesis 1, verses 2 and 3, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Genesis 1, verses 2 and 3 are an illustration. They really happen, but they also illustrate the way the Spirit of God and the Word of God work together to bring light into our hearts. That's what he said. Let there be light. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, he said this, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the Word of God out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The Word of God has got to be present. The Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And I'm not saying that it's got to be some full-fledged gospel message. But I'm telling you, the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together. You may not even see it on printed page, but you hear it. Or maybe you never hear it, but you see it on printed page. Maybe it's just a portion. But I'm telling you, and I believe God can do great things because the Word of God is so powerful. But there's the, uh, the, the moving of God's, see, God's unseen hand. There's the working of the Holy Spirit of God. There's the hearing of God's Word. And then lastly, there's the response of man's heart. You know, I've got to say something. Salvation is really so simple. Look at verses 36 and 37. The Bible says, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Verse 37 says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down and he baptized him. Uh, but here's the thing. All right, I, I brought my hammock today, and I told you I was preaching long. But there's a, uh, there was a uh, missionary years ago. He was a missionary in, in an island country. And uh, they had their own language. The missionary had learned the language. And so he wanted the people to be able to have the Bible in that language. So he could preach in the language, but so he begins to interpret the Bible in their language. And it's a very arduous process. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough road to go through and everything, but here he goes. And so he goes and he, he's, he's doing, uh, getting along really well. But then he starts running into a verse around Habakkuk and then especially in the New Testament. And he starts to run into a word that he's struggling with. Faith. He's trying to find a word in their language that is appropriate for faith. Bible faith. Bible believing. And he works and he studies and he's praying and he is just stumped. He is just stuck on this word faith. Because he was trying to illustrate the faith that saves, not just the faith that the devils have. A faith that saves. So one day after, you know, he, he was taking a little break, he was down on the beach just relaxing. And as he was out on the beach relaxing, a man just happens to walk out onto the beach. I hope I don't fall. And he just sees this man just... In he goes. Y'all hoping I fall, don't you? I know Evan is. 
That's it. That's it. So he gets excited and he jumps up and he, he goes out. What do you call that? What do you call what you just did? What's the word for that? And he gave him the word for it. And it was akin to something like a hammock. And he said, that's the word. That's the word. Okay, so talking about a faith that saves this morning. How many of you believe in this and, and in this hammock today? Now, I know there's some of you prayer saying, that's not a hammock like mine. Mine's got the ropes. And it was okay, I get it. You get, everything you got's better than everything anybody else got, has. But this is my hammock and it serves the purpose, all right? So how many, you believe in this hammock? In other words, do you believe it exists? See, you believe this hammock exists? I hope you do. You know what they're trying to teach our kids today, don't you? Well, it's relative. Do you believe it exists? Well, over here, they may not believe it exists, so we better not say it exists just in case it offends. That's honestly the, that's, that's the philosophy that our kids are being taught. Honestly, it's ridiculous. And we're being taught through the media as well. But, you believe in it, it's there, alright? So we see that. You believe in that hammock? You believe it exists? Now here's another question. Do you believe that this hammock could hold you today? Some of you are like, I'm not so sure to be honest. But uh, Do you believe that hammock could hold you? You know, my rope one will. It's just okay, I get it with your awesome hammock, okay? Alright? So, uh, Here's the hammock. And so you say, well, you, you believe in it. Obviously, it's there. Okay. Um, you believe it's here, and you believe it can hold you. But now, here there's another part of the story. Now you find out, though, that the floor around the hammock, except for where the feet are, okay, will give way any moment. Because I know how some of you think, well, if the floor goes away, just bear with me. That at any moment, that, that you can, this floor feels real... It feels a lot better than hopping up in this sucker. But what I'm trying to tell you today is that God said this floor is not going to hold up. See, this floor is religion. This floor is my sinful lifestyle. This floor is whatever it is that I'm putting my faith in. It feels really, it feels a lot more comfortable than this. I mean, as far as not worrying about falling. So, now... If, if I know, and if God tells me that this floor is not going to hold me up, but if I get in this hammock, I can be held up. I, I believe in it. I, it's there. I do believe it can hold my weight. So, you know what? Why not? You know, this ain't so bad. But there's a problem with this, isn't there? Because, oh boy. Uh, you're recording this, aren't you? All right. Uh, we'll go viral if I fall, man, and especially if I crack my skull on the altar here. But Okay, see, because you think about it. This, see, that's what some people want to do. Well, man, it might be a good idea then. I, I, I guess if this floor might give way, I better lean on that hammock a little bit. See, but that's not, that's not faith. That's not believing in, in the message here. The message is this floor won't hold you up. This, your only hope is to jump in this sucker. All right? So a lot of people try to lean on this. Well, I, I got my baptism. And yeah, I, I, believe in, I, I believe in Jesus too. Sure. You know. I'm a good person. I mean, I mean you, oh yeah, I, mean, I, I believe in Jesus too. It's, it's cool. You know. Leaning on Him. 
But that's not Bible salvation. So here, here, here it is. Hey, and by the way, I'm talking about repentance here too. You say, what about repentance, preacher? Repentance is just simply a change of mind. Repentance is me believing and saying, oh, so this floor ain't going to hold me up? I changed my mind about staying on this floor, staying in this life. So I'm going to get on, on this in, instead. Now here, here it is, okay? Here's what the Bible says. Acts 16, verse 31. It was the verse we started with. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, salvation is when you... Man, I don't want to fall. Salvation is when you just... In I go. It's no longer me. All I'm trusting in 100% now is this hammock. Now, you believe in this hammock. I believe on this hammock. This hammock is my own. If this hammock doesn't hold up, man, I don't have anything else to rely on. See, I'm not relying on the floor and the hammock. I'm only relying on the hammock. And what I'm, I'm just trying to say that believe and be saved, yes, that's how you're saved. Amen? And it really is that simple. But it's not just believing in, oh yeah, I believe in Christ. It's not just saying, you know, oh, I'll get religious and... And, and no, it is saying, you know what? I'm no longer trusting in what I've done. I'm not trusting in what I can do. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. That's salvation. Believe. 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 That's believing. That's biblical. Believe and be saved. Absolutely. But that's what it looks like. The Bible says in Acts chapter, or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't work for salvation. Grace is God's hand reaching right to where you are. Faith is you just holding on to it, grabbing hold of it, trusting in Him and trusting in Him alone. Let's all stand, please. The Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. See, believing from your heart is believing on the Lord. And so I just ask you today, have you been saved? You say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to tell my testimony because it don't sound as good as yours. It doesn't matter. Is it what God said? I mean, have you put your faith in Him? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you need to proudly proclaim. And I, say, I do say proudly. Not proudly in yourself. The Bible says we glory, but we glory in the Lord. Glory is boasting. We need to boast about what Jesus has done for us. Not what we've done but for what Jesus has done for us. We ought to. But if you're here today, and maybe you haven't put your faith in Christ, maybe you believe in Him, maybe you've got a little bit of religion or holding on, no, I just, I'm encouraging you today, you can trust Him. You can trust Him with everything. Believe in Him, just everything. Believe on Him today. You say, preacher, how do I do that? Well, honestly, we say this prayer after the service, but honestly, it's a thing of the will. We don't really have evidence that, matter of fact, it seems like we have evidence to the contrary that Philip actually led this man in a prayer. Honestly, right? Or Lydia, for that matter. But we do know that the Bible says, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth is made into salvation. So we try to encourage people. Will you, from your heart... Will you open your heart like Lydia did and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I do admit to you today. See, these are the, the words that we're saying 
They're the attitude that needs to be in your heart. That's really what it is. I acknowledge to you today that I am a sinner. I have sinned. But Jesus, I believe, I trust that you loved me. You went to the cross to die for my sins. You rose again the third day. Lord Jesus, will you please come into my heart and life? Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I want to believe on you today, Lord. I no longer want to trust in my life even though I feel stable somewhat. I no longer want to trust just in my religion. I want to trust in you and what you've done for me. If from your heart you can cry out to the Lord, I'm telling you, that salvation is believing. It's the evidence of the faith that you had. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help someone to call on you right now. Help someone just like this Ethiopian. Lord, man, this, this guy is rejoicing and shouting in heaven today. God, I pray there'll be somebody here today that if they don't know you, they will believe on you right now. And I, I pray, God, if there's somebody that's struggling, that shame on the old devil. It's really an interesting thing. People that aren't saved don't even need assurance. We got so many of these doubters, dear God. They never doubted before they got saved. Never did doubt. They didn't have anything to doubt. They were lost. But now they're saved and they doubt. God, would you please help them just to grasp onto that easy principle and say, Hallelujah, I put my faith on Jesus. I put my life on Him. Anybody that's not saved, God, help them to come to you today. Anyone who is saved, God, help them to give that assurance. Help them to lead others to you, dear Lord. I want to say just right before we dismiss, I appreciate your patience. Do you know I feel like I preach 15 minutes?